This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Welcome back to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host this week, Carl Ulrich. I'm Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Wharton School, where I teach entrepreneurship innovation as well as product design. I'm really lucky to be joined now on the line by Greg Lambrecht, who's the founder of Coravin. Greg, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. All right. Now, my producer tells me there's a, a rumor that it's possible you are my student. Say more. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it would be true if you taught a class called Innovation in the Manufacturing Company at MIT back in like 1993 or maybe even 1992. Yeah, would have been 15783 maybe one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, that I even the remember class. the course number. Yeah, that's, yeah, which is impressive. I mean, that that was the class that got me started in medical entrepreneurship. Oh, no way. How cool is yeah. that? Wow. Yeah, it's absolutely awesome. I was uh, When I saw your name, I thought, no, that can't be the case. Yeah. Well, so early in my career, I was an assistant professor. I was probably, well, you were at that time probably an undergrad, right? I was a grad student. Oh, you were a grad student. Okay. So I was, I, I, I remember I used, that's the only, I used to wear a tie to class because it was the <laughs> only way I could differentiate myself from the students. I had such a baby face, but wow, that's a cool story. Uh, and it's so thrilling to see this, this company I had, you know, I'd seen the ads, I'd sort of seen it, but it was really nice to get a chance to poke around and learn a little bit more as I was preparing for, uh, for the show. So Greg, let's start actually, first things first, let's, let's start with point our listeners to your website. It's Coravin, C-O-R-A-V-I-N, Coravin.com. And, and, uh, go ahead and give us the elevator pitch for Coravin. Sure. So. Corbin is a simple handheld uh, system that allows you to drink any amount of wine from any bottle you own uh, whenever you want without having to think about when you're going to drink from that bottle again. So uh, it's a, it allows me to have a glass of red, my wife to have a glass of white, and we can put them back in our fridge or cellar and come back again, drink them again a year later, two years later, whenever we want. Um, so it's, a, it's a, a very simple thing, but it changes the way and expands the way that you can serve and enjoy wine. Wow. Well, that's super cool. And it's a, it's a great example, by the way, of describing the benefit proposition, but without actually telling us how it works. So as a, as a nerdy engineer, I got to know how it works. So tell us how it would be possible to drink only one glass of wine without opening the bottle. Yeah, so it's uh, it, that's the key, um, is not opening the bottle. Um, so early on in my career in medicine, I developed uh, chemotherapy delivery systems for kids, and there was an implantable device under their skin, and we would access uh, this port over and over again with a needle um, that did very little damage to this implantable system. So I'd gotten really good at making needles that could go in and out of things without doing damage. Mm. And um, uh, maybe... Ten years into my medical career, um, my wife and I were drinking different wines um, and uh, really enjoyed them together. But I traveled a lot. We were throwing out a lot of wine. Uh, she then became pregnant and stopped drinking entirely. And here I'd lost the person that I enjoyed wine with. Uh, so I remember holding this 
chemotherapy needle in my left hand and a bottle in my right hand thinking there's got to be a way um, that I can get the wine I want out of this bottle with this, with this needle. Um, that needle didn't work, but uh, I developed a needle pretty quickly that could pass through cork. Cork is elastic, so when you remove the needle from the cork, it reseals. Uh, and then uh, what I do to get the wine out of the bottle is uh, you press a little trigger and it pushes an inert gas uh, into the bottle. And that gas, which is argon, pushes the wine out of the bottle into your glass without allowing any air into the bottle. So you pull the needle out of the cork when you're done pouring and all that's left of the bottle is the wine and, and argon. Wow, that's really cool. But don't you need two needles to make that work? Uh, actually, no. So um, it's a two-way valve and a, and a one-way and a one-lumen needle. So you stick the needle through the cork, you press the trigger, and the valve moves so that gas goes into the bottle, yep. uh, pressurizing the bottle to about one and a half atmospheres, and then you remove your hand from the trigger, the valve goes into a, an open position, and that gas pressure Ah, got it. Out of the so you glass. first pressurize, and presumably that takes, that happens pretty quickly. And then, and then you can, and then you can, uh, uh, and then you switch the valve so that the pressure, uh, and you pour. You essentially also pour. I mean, you're you're tilting the bottle as well. That's right. Yeah, that's right. You wow. The bottle, so it's, wow. Really cool. How? Just give us a sense of what's the diameter of the needle. Uh, it's just over a millimeter. So uh, needles come in weird uh, units, English units of gauges. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, we make a couple of different needles. We have. Uh, a standard needle that comes with every system. They're very easily exchanged. Just unscrew and you can put in a new one. Mm-hmm. Um, we make a fast flow needle that's uh, used quite frequently by uh, wine bars and restaurants to serve wines by the glass because they're worried about speed. Yeah. They want to make sure that they can serve as many glasses as they can in as short a time as possible. So that's our bigger diameter needle. Um, and that's uh, about a 16 gauge, 15 and a half to 16 gauge needle. And then um, we've got a vintage needle for very old wines. Uh, as soon as we started to sell Corvin, we started to see it being used on bottles going back you know, the first decade of the 20th century. So um, we quickly launched a super fine needle. It's an 18-gauge, and you can literally push it through the cork with a single finger. And uh, that, so, and the reason you need that is the cork is more fragile, not, not as resilient to reseal? That's right. Yeah. Uh, as, as corks get older, they just become a little bit less elastic, and, and they are much more dependent upon how they were stored over time because yeah. uh, that damage can, cre- uh, can crop up. Yeah. So describe for us the, the system, what I buy, how big it is, and what I need to use it. Sure. It's, um, it's uh, about a third the size of a wine bottle. Um, it uh, comes with two argon capsules. Each capsule, uh, super pure argon that we get from a supplier in Austria, uh, can pour between 15 and 18 glasses, uh, full glasses of wine. Mm-hmm. Um, you drop this little uh, capsule uh, into the system, thread it on. Um, it's got a little clamp handle. You take it, you squeeze the clamp, place it on top of the bottle. Then you push the needle uh, through the cork, tip the bottle sideways. It has a little trigger. Press the trigger and let go, and, um, and wine starts pouring. You can just easily pull it out and, and uh, take the, the clamp off the bottle and it. It resealed. Yeah, and you you say capsule, and I'm sure you've picked that word for very deliberate purposes. But I would say for the layperson, 
this is what it looks like, the canisters that uh, CO2 for a bike pump or a pellet gun would, would come in. It's that kind exactly of little... Exactly right. It's a, yeah. yeah, it's a cartridge of gas. Cartridge of gas, yeah. And and you, just one more question of curiosity. I typically will remove the, remove the device from a bottle of wine, um, or do I leave it on typically? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, yeah, my goal when you, when I made it was you would buy one of them and you could pour with that one system from yep. every bottle you own. Yep. So you take it right off the bottle and yep. uh, you can go directly to the next bottle of wine. Yeah, but is that actually the use case that's materialized or are people using it more typically just to allow one bottle to be enjoyed over multiple nights? Oh, it's a, yeah, another good question. So we, we really change behavior with Corvin. Mm-hmm. Uh, my goal with it was to be able to drink a glass of red, a red, a glass of white, um, and a dessert wine in an evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to be able to do pairings at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, quite commonly, my wife and I disagree on what is the right wine to drink. Yeah. So, uh, so she can have her wine, I can have mine. Um, so the, the real goal of Corvin is variety. Um, it's to be able to drink from a wine that was too good to drink, that you've been aging, uh, that you, you don't know what it tastes like, and you'd like to find out, uh, all the way to discovering a new grape variety like Xenomavro from Greece or, or an Austrian Riesling versus a German Riesling. It's, um, it's a way to – wine is now being made in greater quality, in uh, greater variety, in more places around the world than ever in our history. There's so much to explore and to do that by the bottle takes a lot of time. Yeah. Um, whereas uh, with Coravin, you can have a sip and just see whether or not you like that wine, or you can have a full glass, or you can have a half a bottle. Yeah. Whatever is the right amount for that moment. Yeah. So the use cases is variety, uh, starting in the wineries and restaurants where we first launched, uh, all the way to the home. All right. So you're a you're a, a very scientifically minded person. What what evidence do you have that this actually works? How'd you validate that, in fact, it works? Yeah, so um, initially I was, so I'm a medical device guy, and I've been working in medicine for 25 years. Uh, Corbin is my first consumer product. So I've got a very clinical bent. Uh, and so when I invented Corbin, I was running two medical companies at the same time. So this is sort of a side project. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I developed it really just for myself. Um, I did uh, eight years of testing where I would buy half a case of one type of wine. I'd Coravin a glass out of the first bottle. I'd sign and date it. I'd, I'd write the gas I used. I tried a variety of different gases, mm-hmm. different needles, different pressures, different vintages of wine, different styles of wine. I'd, I'd start with that first bottle. I'd come back to it a month later and taste it again blind versus another bottle from the half case mm-hmm. um, and see whether or not I could tell the difference. And I would repeat that test with a new bottle. Um, and and the previously common bottles at six months, one year, two years, and then five years later. Um, And it's when I had enough varieties of wine, enough vintages of wine, um, out to five years that I'd convinced myself that it worked. I wanted there to be zero hesitation between me and whatever glass I wanted um, from my wine cellar, which increased in size as a result of this testing. Um, And then when we... When we approached launch, um, we wound up going to the top winemakers in Bordeaux, Burgundy, and California, and they ran uh, chemical analyses on mm. the wines. Um, so there's a machine called the FOSS, which measures a, bar- a bunch of different parameters of wine 
including oxidation, uh, but also a, a variety of other factors like free and total SO2 and other things. Um, and Chateau Latour, I think, did a, a great example of it, uh, top Bordeaux producer. They repeated my test, but what they did was they measured, they sent the sample from the first bottle through a machine, yeah. measured all of its parameters, and then one month later did that same bottle in the next bottle, and every month added a new bottle and sampled all the previous ones. Yeah. And they showed that the maximum variation from beginning to end of any of the bottles was within the initial bottle-to-bottle variability of all six wines. Yeah. All right, but let me ask a dumb question. You you really have to compare that against the baseline where you just, like, leave the bottle out. Is that a dumb question? Is it really obvious if you let it oxygenate? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Within the first three days, uh, the wine will change dramatically Mm -hmm. uh, if opened. Um, So, you know, it depends on the style of wine. Some wines are much more... Uh, affected by oxygen immediately than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, younger wines tend to be less affected, uh, older wines more so. Um, some big reds uh, need a day to open up uh, or a couple of hours to open up. Um, but uh, it, it's highly variable. But by three or four days, you, you really can notice, even the fridge, yeah. the dramatic change in the wine. Yeah. All right. Well, well Greg, super interesting. And Oh, yeah. One other question, because I am about to reach for my wallet. What, what do I have to pay? I know you have a lot of uh, price. You have a big price range, but but a- average person going now to your website or Amazon, wherever you sell, what what do I have to pay for this? Yeah. So it, co- it starts. Uh, so we've got an entry level model. Um, they all work, uh, function the same. They achieve the same goal in the same way. Uh, from Model 1, which is our entry level, at 199 U.S., mm-hmm. uh, up to our recently launched Model 11, which is was my dream when I founded the company. I wanted Coravin not only to work the way I've described, but also to be faster, easier, and more fun than opening a bottle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Model 11 is fully automatic, digital, Bluetooth connected. Um, it's really spectacular. It comes with a, with a full kit out of all the other things that we sell, screw caps, adapters for screw cap wines, aerators that can open up your wine quickly. Um, and that sells for just under $1,000. Yeah, demonstrating that uh, enophiles will spend almost anything on wine. <laughs> they're, they're second only to golfers. So yeah, it's pretty, I, yeah. It, you know, yeah. It's, a, it's a passion yeah. for people. Yeah. And it, it grew out of passion of mine. Yeah. It's a quality of life thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. I think Model 11 is predominantly used by restaurants at this point yeah. because it takes zero training. Yeah. Um, and uh, and gives them all sorts of information and allows them to set volume or, or pour speeds, um, pour taste or pour glass. It's really um, fully featured. We, we had we've been on the market since 2013 and we accumulated a lot of knowledge from talking to our consumers and our restaurants and our, our wineries and tried to encompass all of that into the Model 11. So, so you know, as you say that, I'm thinking the you start out with, with consumer in mind, but the use case in restaurants is I could I could serve by, I could serve a a five hundred dollar bottle of wine by the glass without any wine yeah. by the glass. Yeah, it's um it's really changed the restaurant world. Wow. Um, the other so you know Capital Grill, uh, Smith and Walensky. Uh, Morton Steakhouse, and then you know we have a restaurant in in uh, London, uh, 67 Pall Mall, that's serving 800 wines by the glass. Wow! Um, with Corvin because they they don't they don't care anymore. Yeah, uh, it's whatever their customer wants. Um, the other use case use case 
face that I imagined when I founded the company, and it's just recently become a, um, a reality, was wine stores. Um, wine stores, you, you, it's, a, it's an incredible job to try to sell yeah. you a bottle of wine where you don't know what it tastes like. Right. Um, Total Wine and Spirits now is using Coravin to sample customers on pretty much any wine they want to try. Um, so you, you can know what it tastes like before you buy it. Uh, which is which makes a lot of sense. It's like Baskin Robbins meeting yeah. in the day. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's 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 all so awesome. It's it's really interesting. And I I wonder, I, I want to just now talk about the business for a minute because I I would have guessed back then in the day when you had this idea. I mean, this is a really compelling benefit proposition. It's one of those things that as soon as you hear it, you say, "Wow, it sounds too good to be, to be true." And why did you mess around for eight years before deciding it was going to be a business? <laughs> Have you been talking to my wife? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so I, I'm not going to say it's your fault, <laughs> but um, I worked on this product for uh, Johnson and Johnson in in your class, uh, and it was a it was a the catheter for yeah. the catheter yeah. exactly. And um, I, I realized at that point that I was obsessed with the idea of being able to change the trajectory of somebody's life by, through medical innovation. Um, if you could extend their life, if you could prevent pain or restore function, um, it was just, uh, you know, I, I immediately realized this is what I wanted to do. Yeah. And um, went into Pfizer. They, they were extraordinary toward me, allowed me to invent, taught me how to invent, uh, asked us to figure out how to invent. Uh, new important medical therapies, and we went um, using using your core concept of need based innovation. Mm-hmm. Start with need and go from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, wound up being more and more successful. Left and started my own companies. Um, and I thought of Coravin when I first invented it as sort of frivolous, yeah. something for me in my house. It's just wine. Um, I have. I didn't realize what I know now. I didn't realize then what I know now, which is quality of life is at least as important as extent of life. Mm-hmm. And um, being able, I had a spine surgeon who said, I get your life. You, you work on medicine to keep us alive and you work on Corbin to give us a reason to stay alive. <laughs> and, you know, wine matters. It's, uh, it's been around for 8,000 years. It's been in bottles, glass bottles with cork for 400 years. Um, and, and I didn't realize at the time how much of an impact, positive impact you could have on people's lives through an innovation that at that time I thought was frivolous. Mm. Um, and I have since learned that. Um, it's a total joy to work on this business. I probably would have started it earlier if I knew then what I know now. Um, but, you know, you, you, you never, you don't always make the right decisions. Yeah. But it's it's been an extraordinary journey since uh, founding in 2011, launched in 2013 in the U.S. And now we're in over 60 countries worldwide. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And I mean, wow, that's a really inspiring perspective. And I, I largely agree with you. I think you're, you've got it just right. Um, tell me a little bit about the other thing I was curious about. We just have a few minutes, but, but the thing I was curious about, you have raised, if, I, if Crunchbase is to be believed, $64 million, presumably on you know a pretty big market potential. Uh, but but one of the things you hear is that investors are shy away from hardware and consumer hardware. Was this a hard sell, or was the benefit proposition so clear that this actually was fairly straightforward in terms of financing the business? 
Um, hard sell. Uh, yeah. Series A was really easy. Mm-hmm. So friends and family um, around a million was really easy, compelling people that had used it. Um, they knew that it was worth something. Uh, consumer is different from med tech in the sense that when you're pre-revenue, it's very difficult to convince skeptical investors that there's massive revenue in your future. Yeah. It's so a leap of faith. Series, yeah. Yeah. Series B is tough in consumer. In med tech, you know, you, you, you're, you're pre you're market for years, sometimes yeah. a decade. Um, and, and, and there's just a structured way of investing and taking those risks. In consumer, there's much there. There are fewer consumer venture uh, firms, and they don't like to invest pre-revenue. So getting through Series B was really our survival um, round, and I'm really glad that we did it. We had amazing partners. It was actually a medtech uh, investor who who founded a separate investment fund in order to invest. Wow. And they also introduced me to Robert Parker, uh, wow. a group called Wyndham Ventures out of New York. They're fantastic. Um, and so they they enabled us to launch. Um, and then since launch with the exceeding expectations piece, uh, raising capital has been easy. Yeah. Yeah. So that leads to my what will probably be my last question. Um, how how's it going? Oh, <laughs> uh, fantastic. Um, it's uh, it's extraordinary uh, when you're growing in high double digits for years Um the U.S. is our, our number one market. We started here first, and you know, selling out on Black Friday um, is a crazy experience. Um, the stress on logistics, uh, the you know, the, but these are all great problems to have. Um, you know, the, the, what I've learned in in this is the med tech and, and consumer are very different. Um, there are two thousand spine surgeons who do all the surgeries that I. I care about with my, my company, my other company, but you know, there's 37 million consumers. How do you reach them? Um, and, and we have brought on some amazing people, a guy who used to run Espresso us, Fred Levy. Uh, we've got an amazing uh, head of sales here. And what they've done is build out this incredible, um, um, retail expansion that has enabled this huge growth. There's still a lot of brick and mortar retail sale in consumer. Oh yeah. Bed Bath and Beyond, Best Buy, Williams, Sonoma, Surlatop, um, match Amazon. Um, so they're still powerful. Uh, and and building those relationships as we have and building the trust that we have with them um, has enabled us to have really incredible growth. Uh, and then you hit some point where it's not your advertising uh, or necessarily the visibility in the store that makes the sale. It's that enough people have it where their friends see it at their house, like my friend saw it at my house 11 years ago. All right. Well, Greg, we're, you hear the music, so we're out of time. Uh, super interesting. Thanks so much for joining me. It's wonderful to speak to you again. Thanks for the full circle on my career. All right. Wine fun. matters. <laughs> I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton. Launchpad is produced by Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. The show airs live on Wednesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. You can find more episodes of this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.